Hello, and welcome to the third season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each episode I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guest today is Michael Boyd. Michael is a writer and director who assisted James Rado, the author of Hair, on Rado's musical, American Soldier. He also directed the European tours of Jesus Christ Superstar and West Side Story. His play, Soldiers and Other Living Things, was recently presented as part of the 1819 season at the theater at the 14th Street Y in New York City. His play with music, Here to Recruit You, about gay icon Harvey Milk, is currently in development. We're going to talk today about the 1971 musical, Inner City. Hey, Michael. Thank you so much for being here, for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me here, Shoshana. It's an honor. Well, we are going to get started with our Get to Know Our Guest questions. What was your first experience with the musical? First experience with a musical happened in junior high school, I believe. Um, I was into drama, wanted to be in plays, fell into the theater group and found out that there were these things, that these plays that had songs in them, which I wasn't familiar with before. And then I was exposed to some of the cast albums from some of those shows and that was, that was my introduction. Now my first actual experience with performing in a musical came a few years later in high school uh, in a production of High Button Shoes which didn't throw me as a show, but it was a chance to get on stage. Mm-hmm. The year before, the, my school had done Funny Girl, and it won a major competition. Oh. So High Button Shoes was kind of a letdown <laughs> after that. I chickened out on the auditions for Funny Girl. <laughs> and uh, then the first oh. Broadway show that I ever, musical that I saw was Hair. Oh, nice. And I know that was a big musical for it you. It was a life changer. Yeah. It was a life changer, because up until that point, I didn't think that there was a, actually a place for me in musical theater. Mm-hmm. And then I see this show with hippies and rock music and young people, and I thought, I can do that. What is the last great musical you saw? The last great musical I saw was probably Passing Strange, mm-hmm. which, in my opinion, transcended being more than just a musical. The, there were so many levels to it that it was, it was mind-blowing. <clears throat> and I also related to the story. Mm-hmm. Very intensely. The whole mother-son yeah. art, yeah. find yourself, go to Europe. I did all those things. Yeah. And it was kind of like watching my life story happen. Oh, it's so nice to see, be able to see that right. on stage. But the other interesting level about that show was that the guy who wrote it, Stu, <clears throat> was in the show. Right. And the lead character was himself as a young man. Mm-hmm. So there were all these interactions between the real man who wrote the show and his alter ego, his younger self as a character, which brought a whole nother layer of depth to the piece. What older or classic show did you recently see for the first time and what was your experience with it? The last classical musical that I saw was Hello Dolly, the revival with um, Bette Midler. Mm -hmm. And I enjoyed it very much. Yeah. I'm a big big Bette Midler fan. Mm -hmm. So of course, just the thrill of seeing her. Right. But I did, understand why that type of musical is no longer in vogue. Right, 
Right. You would not have that musical written today. No. Yeah. <laughs> I would have no interest in seeing that musical today. Right. You know. Yeah. It was just, it was very 50s. Yeah. It was like watching an old 50s sitcom, <laughs> as a matter of fact, you know. Yeah. Well, it's, but it was good to see you because you know you have to see what you came from. Right, absolutely. The basis for what we have now. Yeah. Uh, what's a musical people might be surprised to find out you love, and why would they be surprised? Probably a little night music mm -hmm. because it's just not something that a show that would appeal to me. Yeah. Having grown up on theater, musical theater in the seventies, early seventies, late sixties, mm -hmm. when rock was taking over and Breaking Barriers was the thing. Right. A traditionalist like Stephen Sondheim actually did not appeal to me. Right. I had no desire to see anything he did because it was, in my opinion at the time, old-fashioned. Mm -hmm. However, I worked as an apprentice at a professional theater when I was yeah. 17, and they actually did a production of A Little Night Music, and I was totally blown away mm -hmm. by it. Yeah. Totally blown away. I mean, it was... <laughs> It was the classiest, trashiest musical <laughs> I had ever seen. And Stephen Sondheim actually, and Hal Prince actually came out to see the production. Oh, nice. And raved about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny to think of Sondheim being old, fa like old fashioned. But I well, guess. You know, you associated him with West Side Story, right. from the Amazon Way to the Forum. At least that's what I did right, at the time. Right, right. It's true, especially with stuff like hair right. coming. But of course, I, be I became a fan after that. Right. You know? Even the flops, assassins, mm -hmm. passion. Right. You know, I love them all. Yeah. If you could require our president or government leaders to see one musical, which one would you have them see? Probably falsettos. Mm hmm Mainly because there are so many musicals that deal with the quote-unquote underdogs of our society. Yeah. But in that particular case, the underdogs look like them. Mm-hmm. And I think they'd be more affected by it with it being white men and right. issues that they dealt with and white men with families and right. pretty conservative mm -hmm. middle-class white men. Right. And I think that they would tend to, to relate more. Mm. And be changed more. And be changed and be moved. By yeah. that. Yeah. That's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't send them to see... Passing Strange, or, mm -hmm. some, or a black show, or, or a, a Latin show, you right. know, in the Heights. I wouldn't send them to see something like that, because they walk in mm -hmm. going, okay, this is about them. Right. And a wall goes up immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is a moment in a musical that you think gets to a complex emotional state you didn't think was possible to get to? Well, going back to Passing Strange, clearly the end of that, mm -hmm. when the mom passes away, right, and one Stu tells the other, you'll never see her again because he didn't get home by the right. time she died, mm -hmm. and he goes, yes, I will. I'll see her through my art, mm. and the mother appears. Yeah. I was on the floor. That yeah. was it. <laughs> I thought that was just one of the most emotional mu moments in a musical ever. Yeah. Yeah, you're bringing it all back. <laughs> you're bringing it all back for me. <laughs> Well, let's move on to our topic, which is the musical Inner City. Um, this is not a musical many people are familiar with. Um, but those who are, yes. are entirely devoted to it. Right. <laughs> and love it very much. Yes. And because um, it, when it 
came to Broadway in 71. It didn't do very well. No. Um, it, uh, Largely for yeah. political reasons. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about that a bit? Sure. It was directed by Tom O'Horgan, who mm-hmm. directed Hair. Yeah. Who, for me, was my mentor in yeah. going into the theater. I went to see everything the man did <clears throat> after Hair. And when Inner City opened, he had three other shows running on Broadway at the same time. Mm-hmm. All hits, bringing in audiences that didn't normally go to Broadway. Right. And I think the powers that be, the status quo Broadway people, just said enough. Mm-hmm. And they were prepared to hate whatever he did next. What were the other shows that he had besides His hair, Jesus Christ Superstar, mm-hmm. and Lenny. Oh, Lenny. And mm-hmm. three of them were on the same block. Mm-hmm. Hair was across the street from Lenny, which yeah. was up the street from Inner City. I can just see, you know, the press and everything. people being like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Enough already. Yeah. And hippies mm-hmm. and rock music. And with Inner City, he pushed the boundary with the music. Mm-hmm. It went beyond rock. Yeah. It went into gospel at a time when Broadway was not used to it. Right. It went into the black voices as we know them now that Broadway had never heard on a Broadway stage. Right. So he really pushed the buttons, pushed their buttons with that. Yeah. And they had a they had a gospel singer in the show, mm-hmm. uh, Linda Hopkins. Who actually won the Tony. Yeah. <clears throat> Interesting. Gospel singer, star of the show, pretty much. She wins the Tony Award. Mm-hmm. Literally. Every performance they did of the 97 to 100, yeah. standing ovations and cheering at every performance. Hmm. And the critics tore it apart. Wow. Um, and also, we have what we believe to be the first female writing team on Broadway. Right. Which is um, Eve... Uh, Eve Miriam. Eve Mi- Miriam. And Helen Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> neither of which... Neither of whom had ever written for Broadway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was totally not their thing. Right. You know? I mean, Eve wrote the book that the show was based on, and then, of course, she expanded it and wrote additional lyrics for the show. Right. And Helen Miller was a pop composer. Yeah. Writing hits for Gene Pitney and, you know, other 60s singers. Yeah. Well, and we should say the book that it's based on is not a traditional book that you would base a musical on uh, either. No. Uh, it's, uh, it's sort of a children's book. I mean, Not it really. <laughs> Not really. As a matter of fact, it was one of the most banned books at the time in schools. Right. But it's Mother Goose updated. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those rhymes were not suitable for children. Right. <laughs> but it's written in that style. Right. Um, we can even read some of these. Um, from the book, uh, this is my favorite one that is very, very short. Uh, there was a, there was a, it's called There Was a Crooked Man, and it's just, there was a crooked man, and he did very well. Exactly. And that's, (laughs) that's it. (laughs) Exactly. And that's pretty much, uh, a story for our time. Many of the poems were put written direct the music was written directly to them as they were written yeah you can really you can hear when you listen to the the uh recordings right. that it's basically just the rhymes and they set them they um i mean you can tell it's the the rhyme but it's set like a song right i think part of the problem that people that the status quo had with the show was that 
that was the basis for the show. Mm -hmm. But Helen Miller and Eve sat down and wrote additional music for the show mm -hmm. that was not necessarily Mother Goose based. Right, right. And they, they were taking the task for it, which I think was unfair because what they wrote was so wonderful and did set it did fit the the tone of the show. Mm -hmm. If not, if it wasn't a direct nursery rhyme. Right. They were the they were upset that they had written additional material. Well, they were upset. They the big one of the complaints, not the big complaint. One of the complaints was that the mother goose theme mm -hmm. was not completely evident throughout the show. Mm -hmm. And no, it wasn't. Right. But you had enough of it to understand that that right. was the tone of what was written. Right. And, that and could you really have a show that was completely all mother exactly. goose rhymes? You couldn't. You couldn't. <laughs> yeah. You know, she introduced the characters. Mm -hmm. Every all of the the nine performers were introduced right. with a nursery rhyme. Mm -hmm. But then they kind of took off on their own. Right. And then you got these amazing songs like right. uh, Deep, Deep in, in the, the Night. Um, it's my belief. It's my belief. You know, songs that happen. And for um, Hush It By Baby. Mm -hmm. Eve and Helen wrote an additional song right. to attach to it, to make it a medley. Yeah. And it's a wonderful song. Yeah, yeah, which we'll talk about. Yeah, Eve Merriam is, is a really fascinating writer when you dig into what she did, uh, all the different work she did. She did this book. Um, she had some other books as well. She was basically known as a children's book writer mm -hmm. <clears throat> because it was interesting. A lot of people, when they would come to see when I, the projects that I worked on, a lot of some of the many of my friends are teachers, uh -huh. and they were like, "I want to meet Eve because we use her books in our classroom." Oh my and, gosh! You know, yeah, it was very exciting. Yeah, very exciting. She also wrote um, "After Nora Slammed the Door," "The Woman's Unfinished Revolution," uh, yeah, and a children's book called "Mommy's at Work." <laughs> I guess that's one of the ones <laughs> right. that they knew. Um, she was she wrote a lot of like very feminist stuff of the time. Um, Absolutely. The uh, the first network documentary on women's rights called We the Women, which was on CBS. Um, and she did write uh, another musical called The Club. Um, which had a much longer shelf life. Yeah. More of a success than Inner City. Yeah. It came afterwards. Was it on Broadway? Or it was no? off-Broadway. Off-Broadway. Yeah. Right, right. Um, and it had men played by women making derogatory marks, remarks about women in a private club. So still dealing with right. feminist issues there. A private men's club where they can free to, free to say what they want, mm -hmm. but they're all played by women. <laughs> <laughs> Little cloud nine-ish in there. Yeah, <laughs> I, kinda, I, wish, I kinda wish that that was, we could see that today, you know, right. that, that piece. Well, you may, one yeah. day I may choose to direct it. Oh, ooh. It's on my list, it's on my want to do list. Yeah, oh, nice. Um, yeah, and then we also have another interesting uh, person involved in this musical, which is Harvey Milk. Right. Um, which we would not think of him. We don't associate him with being involved in the theater because we know him so well as a politician. Right. He had a very prolific career in the theater, actually, before mm -hmm. going to San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. He was involved with three different Broadway shows. And for Inner City, he was actually the associate producer. Is that's the, the most he's been in, he was involved, I guess? Well, he was usually the assistant director uh. under Tom O'Horgan. Mm -hmm. But Tom, because Harvey worked on Wall Street at the time, yeah. Tom felt that he would be better producing. 
and he was grooming him for that. Wow. And so Inner City was his first step into producing. And so if Inner City had done well, we might have had Harvey Milk, the producer, and not right. Harvey Milk, the politician. And he'd probably still be alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because none of that would have happened. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it was actually the failure of Inner City that disillusioned him with theater mm -hmm. and caused him to say, I'm out of here, I'm going to San Francisco. Yeah. Wow. And it, we, do, we don't think of Inner City being the pivotal moment in Harvey Milk's life. But, but it was. It was. It absolutely was. And mm -hmm. um, for those people who have seen the movie, they know that his lover in the movie was played by James Franco, mm -hmm. Scott Smith. Right. He was the ASM for uh, Inner City. Uh, <laughs> it all comes together. <laughs> he was also the ASM and a cast member in Lenny. And I understand why they changed it. Because yeah. the story in the movie was the politics. Right. So when he met Scott, he was dressed in a business suit mm -hmm. at the Christopher Street subway, and Scott was this actor. Yeah. When in reality, when they met, Harvey had left Wall Street already. Mm -hmm. Harvey was a hippie by that time. Right. And when he approached him, he was not dressed in a three-piece suit. He had long hair and he was <laughs> and loved beads. <laughs> yeah. But for the contrast in the film, and I totally understand it, that was the way it was presented. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. So we mentioned before that this book was banned because um, some of the poems, I guess, they get really real with um, what life in this inner city is in like. In the major inner cities, right? Yeah. <clears throat> the major urban areas of, of the country at that time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people didn't want to deal with that. Yeah. And they didn't want to expose their children to it because they felt it was best swept under the carpet. Yeah. How did um, how did this book get discovered and someone said like this this book is a musical? <laughs> I really don't know how that happened. To be with you. <laughs> I really that's a very good question. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. I don't know how even Helen got together, but even Helen got together mm -hmm. before going to Tom O'Horgan, mm. who actually t turned it into a show. <clears throat> they had just written music. Right. To her, her, to her lyrics. Mm -hmm. And made a demo tape. Yeah. And they sent Tom a demo tape hmm. of the songs. Yeah. And he loved it. Yeah. It's so they probably had the idea that right. this could work as some kind of theater. Yeah. Yeah. And they just kind of hustled it together. Hmm. Yeah. It kind of fits in with the vibe of hair. And, right. Um, it's a con I mean, it's a concept musical. It's There's no overall, like linear plot no. to it it's it's basically these these it was songs. called a street cantata oh yeah songs and and speeches of the street right right because there's some monologues yeah. in it as well and uh which are i mean everything in it is so beautiful but it's um when you listen to the recording you only get the the songs Right, and you only get a fraction of the songs. Right, right. I've, I'm so glad that from the con. So you did a concert of this at Fifty Four Below. Right. Uh, two and a half years ago. Yeah. Or so. so. I'm so glad that you put the the Starlight Star Bright. I don't. Is that the name of the song? Starlight Star Bright. Um, that that's you because that's not on the recording. Uh, but and that it, version does not exist. Did right. not exist oh, until Fifty Four because Rob right. Rob rearranged that. Great. So let's talk about this. So, <laughs> so there. Rob was our musical director. Yeah, Rob, Rob Baumgartner, yeah. Um, wonderful musician. 
and composer. He um, was part of bringing this inner city concert at 54 Below together. And because a lot of the music uh, from the original production is not available, it's gone. Gone, didn't exist. Mm -hmm. What happened was when the show, even Helen were both disappointed to say the least that the show failed. Mm -hmm. And they felt, I think, that it was their fault that it failed. Yeah. So they decided to rework it. Right. So they ultimately ended up taking what was originally done on Broadway and kind of trashing it mm -hmm. and writing a new show, incorporating most of the music, but yeah. not all of it, right. and writing some new stuff yeah. and adding a book to it, mm -hmm. which totally did not work. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah it's, totally did not work. Some things just aren't book musicals. No. Yeah. And everybody who loved Inner City loved what was done on Broadway. Right. But they destroyed that version. They pulled it from Samuel French. Mm -hmm. You can no longer get the rights to do it. Yeah. And of course, that was the only version I was interested in doing because mm -hmm. I had also seen right. the other versions and I knew, you know, right. what And this work. one, this new version was called... Uh, Street Dreams, which was one of the new songs <clears throat> that they wrote for the show. Oh. So is, are the new songs, did you incorporate the new songs into the 54 Below concert, or you were just trying to get the original, like... That's an interesting question, and I thought you might be asking me that. <laughs> Technically, I've been working on this show, seriously trying to revive it since 1990. Yeah. And I did incorporate a lot of the new songs into the Broadway version. Mm -hmm. And luckily, Rob came along yeah. and opened my eyes, because I had worked with Eve and Helen. I knew how they felt about a lot of these songs. Right. I knew that they loved them. But the bottom line was, they did not really fit mm. with the show that when I was on Broadway in 1971. Right. But I always kept a lot of the stuff in there for them. Yeah. Rob said, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Michael, it doesn't work. Take it out. <clears throat> and we fought about it a little bit, but he, he was absolutely right. Yeah. So when we, what we did at 54, there was only one song, and it was actually in the Broadway show. They just rearranged it for Street Dreams. Mm -hmm. One song was rearranged. That was in that concert. Mm. And Rob did a rearrangement of Starlight, Starbright. Which was in the original? Or? It was in the yeah. original, but not that arrangement. Ah, okay. So Rob did that arrangement. Helen did the arrangement of the other song. Mm -hmm. But everything else was as it was on 71 on Broadway. Yeah, I, that, that Starlight, Starbright song really struck me as like the, the kind of lyrical moment of the of the piece where you just see these people who live without stars like they um, live with street lights yeah, yeah with um like those are their stars the neon signs the street lights and you know and they're calling them stars because that's what they have that is just such a beautiful metaphor for right. what the show is <laughs>
about that song and especially Rob's arrangement. Mm-hmm. It made I never was happy with the Broadway opening of Act Two. Mm-hmm. That's a perfect opening for Act Two. Mm, yeah. Perfect. So that wasn't originally the the. Opening it happened part. later in Act Two, oh. and it, and it's interesting because the person who sang it you didn't even see her. She sang it off stage. Oh, interesting. Under a scene. Huh. Wow. Well, this um, you can find it on YouTube. Um, it's a beautiful arrangement by Rob and a beautiful song. Yep. Um, but uh, so let's talk about. Um, go back in time when you first saw Inner City on Broadway and what those what that experience was like for you. Well, like I said, Tom O'Hork and anything he directed, I was going to go see mm-hmm. after Hair. Yeah. <clears throat> so when I saw that he was doing Inner City, I, I of course got a ticket mm-hmm. immediately. I think I first saw it in previews. Yeah. And was just totally blown away mm-hmm. by the talent, the show, all of it. Yeah. All of it. Um, and I became a groupie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I, I can't even tell you how many times I saw the show. It was a time when Broadway was affordable, especially for students. There were $3 rush tickets. Yeah. And they were orchestra seats mm-hmm. because the show wasn't selling. Right. So I had great seats every time I saw it. Yeah. And it, it just, something about the show just resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And I knew I wanted... I was very upset when it closed, and I thought, this is so unfair. Yeah. This show has got to live. And it took me 10 years to actually do another production of it, mm-hmm. but I never gave up on the show. Yeah. Never gave up on it. Yeah. I feel like, I think of you as like the, the resident inner city expert, um, <laughs> and now you're kind of like the keeper of the piece. I am. In a way. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's an honor I work for. But that I'm I'm honored to have yeah. as well, you know. Yeah, because you you knew the authors. I knew the authors. I knew many of the cast members. I still am friends with many of the cast mm-hmm. members. Um, I worked intimately with the authors <clears throat> as yeah. they were restructuring the show. Because what happened was, when Inner City closed, no Samuel uh, French got the rights. Nobody did it. Yeah. Nobody did it. Ten years later, eighty one. Mm-hmm. I got a job at a choreographing a show at a regional theater they did one musical a year mm-hmm. they hired me to choreograph Noel Coward's O Coward <laughs> <laughs> and they were very happy with, with me and my work and the artist director says to me if you could do any musical next season what would you do Yeah. and I said Inner City and he'd never heard of it Yeah. so he went out and got the album and he called me and said I love this I'm going to push for this to be our show next season. Great. So in 81, 10 years later, mm-hmm. was the first professional production of it after the Broadway production. Wow. And I was choreographing it. Yeah. And of course, since nobody was doing it, when mm-hmm. even Helen heard that somebody was doing right. it, they were like, we got to go see these people. We got to go and support them and give them input. And that's how I met them. They came out to rehearsal and they started writing the material for that production, mm. for what eventually became Street Dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a, it's been a trip. Yeah. But as a result of it, being the keeper of the show, and spending so much time with them over the years, because I did a number of productions after that that they supported me on. Right. I got to learn mm-hmm. what they liked, what they didn't like, why they wrote certain things, why certain things were done a right. certain way. I mean, I got the backstory on almost every song that's right. in the show, right. which was really amazing. 
was amazing. Yeah. It still blows my mind, you know. Yeah. And now that they're no longer with us, I guess that I am the keeper yeah. of the show. Yeah, I mean, as you said, it's a it's an honor right. to have that for a show that um, not many people know but has a rich following and history. Right. When we did the show at 54 Below, mm -hmm. it was just to do it. Right. For the love of the show. Um, there We got two rave reviews. Mm-hmm by people who loved the show back in the 70s. Mm. And they said, they're doing inner city, I'm there. Yeah, People showed up because it was inner city. Right. Which speaks volumes about the show. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, I, I was there. You could really feel the love in that room, for sure. And you had an original cast member yes, in, the show, Alan Nichols. in the show. We were supposed to have two original cast members. Mm -hmm. Larry Marshall was supposed to do it as well. Um, but unfortunately, he got cast in Waitress. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. wasn't able to do both. Right. Yeah, Und understandable. Um, oh, and you told me the story that Eve Merriam, I guess, told you about a, school, a story of a... A high school group. From oh, I was Harlem. there. Oh, you were there. I was there. Okay, so I was there. One of the things they they were doing everything they could to say good audiences and, and yeah. save the show. They were having lots of church groups come because mm -hmm. of the gospel element. Right. But they also reached out to a lot of inner city high schools yeah. for trips. And on one matinee day, an inner city high school came, and I was just a high school kid myself. Mm -hmm. And they had a talk back with with yeah, the cast yeah. after the show. So I just pretended I was part of the school. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. you know, so there's me and all these kids from Harlem. Right, right. <laughs> who, by the way, loved the show. Yeah. They were cheering throughout the whole thing. They, they, they just loved it. Yeah. Um, probably because they had not seen themselves represented so honestly. Right. In any form of entertainment at that point. Yeah. So the cast comes out and they're cheering and they're talking. They're asking cast questions. And one of the cast members, I think it was Larry Marshall, actually mm -hmm. said... Would you guys like to meet the person who wrote this show, lady who wrote this show? She's here. I see her standing over there. And they're like, mm -hmm. yes, absolutely. <laughs> we want to meet this woman. We want to meet her. Yeah. So he says, Eve, come on out on stage. Mm -hmm. And this small, frail, middle-aged white woman walks out. Right. And the room went silent. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't know what to say. Right. They had just seen the show that was like so pro-black and da 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 And like, yeah. she wrote this? Yeah. And there was just silence. And finally, there was this one girl, big girl with a big afro. I never forget her. She goes, lady, <clears throat> did you really write this show? <laughs> and Eve goes, yes, I did. And she goes, well, all I have to say to you is, when the revolution comes, you will be protected. We will take care of you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love that story. And of course, at that point, the whole audience, all the kids started cheering. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it was it was really a wonderful, a wonderful moment. Yeah. But it's the kind of moments that this show generated right. on so many different levels. Why don't we go through some of the songs from the show okay. um, <clears throat> and talk about them. Um, one song that is, I guess, a little more well-known uh, is Deep in the Night, because um, right. other people have, have covered it. Many people have covered it, mm -hmm. including Barbara Streisand. I mean, right. everybody's covered that song. Yeah, it's a great song. And it's it's so it's so interesting when so when you're listening to it, there's um it's like this intro, uh, intro to it with um, Linda Hopkins sings it on the recording, and she talks about just a man being in the house and even like a 
a wonderful man, even even when a woman is on her period, the man <laughs> will still want to be with her. Um, this is the intro to the song. <laughs> Broadway was not ready. <laughs> I mean, it's not like as explicit as I just said, but that is basically what it is. And you're, it, it's, it's a lot more beautifully said. <laughs> I could hardly wait for it to be morning. And the kids get up and just everything to do. I turn over in bed and I play a game. If you have to have one man, just one man in a house for the rest of your life, who would it be? Now, I would not take the first one. And he's so surprised to find that I had never been before. And I would not take Mr. Big Sport either. Huh. Have another drink, girl. Okay, girl, come on now, let's go. But the one I would want to keep, I know who that would be. The one who first took me during my time and I was hurting inside. No, I said we gotta wait. But he touched me so gentle. Oh, so gentle and just relaxed me all out. Now she's flowing, he said. Beautiful, beautiful river. Beautiful, beautiful woman river. And I love him for that. But nobody could ever say anything bad to me about that man. And then it goes into the song from there. Right. And interestingly, that song was written mm -hmm. during tech. Interesting. For the show. Yeah. Because they knew they wanted a song there, but they didn't know what they to do. Yeah. They had the speech. Um, so Helen wrote the music. Mm -hmm. It was the one time where the music came first. Oh. So Helen wrote the music and taped it and gave it to Eve and she would have been one of the dressing rooms mm -hmm. and wrote those lyrics hmm. to fit Helen's music. Yeah. And it became the standout of the show. Yeah. And I should say it's it's a it's not a from a mother goose rhyme. It's it's one no. of the it's one of the the it is traditional the, yeah. songs. <laughs> I wait for daylight. Daytime's always get through. But when the sun goes down, that's when I feel cold and old. Deep in the night, I need you to hold me. It is also interesting. It has, so the bridge of the song is very, I, I've, it's very similar to the bridge of Losing My Mind from Follies, which came out the same year. Um, the coffee cup, I think about you uh, right. kind of thing. But it's, it's, it's not like, it's very similar, but like I wouldn't say like, oh, they stole, you know, it's, it's just the exact same idea. <laughs> the same idea was floating through the universe. Right. <laughs> and they both picked up on it. Right. Eve and Steve. Right. <laughs> I read a book and I think about you. Put it down and I think about you. Make some coffee and I think about you. Wash out the 
that's a, I, one of my favorite songs um, is a, the other Linda Hopkins song, It's My Belief. Right. Um, it's just very gospel like I guess a, would you call it like a traditional gospel number? It type? is very traditional, yeah. traditional gospel. Um, the interesting thing about that song is you it wasn't clear. A lot of these, when we did the concert at 54 Below, mm-hmm. you saw a lot of stuff out of context. Yeah, <clears throat> right. I think one of the reasons that song was so successful in the show mm-hmm. was because her son had just got killed. And she uses that song to summon herself out of her grief hmm. in the show. Yeah. And we weren't able to actually portray that in the concert version. Because mm. it's... Um, but I think that's part of the reason that that song went over so well. Yeah. Well, is it Was that because it's done movement-wise? or? Well, what happens is her son gets shot, and they do the who killed nobody, mm-hmm. and I said his mother, mm. she's the mother. And then everybody just kind of backs off and leaves the mother there by herself. Mm-hmm. And her son has just been killed. She's there on stage by herself. Yeah. And then the gospel music comes in underneath it. Yeah, I mean, even without knowing that, just listening to the recording, it, I mean, you feel that emotion, you feel that power right. for sure. Because um, it definitely, it lifts you up, that yes. song. She lifts herself up, and in, at the same time, she lifts the audience out of it too, mm-hmm. and prepares them for the really upbeat ending yeah. to the show. Yeah, let's, let's go into the ending, because... Um, that's also one of my favorite songs. <laughs> the, it's um, it's a medley. It's on this rock uh-huh. slash the great if. Right. Right. Um, it's, it is two different songs. But right. Yeah. But they go they work together really well. Right. And um, the I guess it starts with the great if. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, which is a slower, like a slower pace song. If all. The seas were one sea, one sea, what a great sea that would be if all the slums were one slum, one slum, what a great slum that
the great axe and cut down the great slum and let it fall into the great sea, what a great if that would be. So it's like using the nursery rhyme kind of form to talk about this like very beautiful idea of like getting rid of the slum. Right. <laughs> getting rid right. of the slums. Um, and then it moves into the on this rock I make my stands. It's like very... It's like it's crazy here. It makes me crazy. It makes me mad. It frustrates me. But I love it. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine myself anywhere else. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And it's much faster, um, that part. Um, and it like builds back into the great if again. Because that's the... Because if all the men were working together, we wouldn't mm, have a slum. Right. There'd be no need for mm, it. Yeah. And that's... And it's men who have to take that first step to to do something about it. What were some of the, your other favorites? So many. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't even know how many songs were in the Broadway show. Something like 60 or 70. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, what you saw at 54 was... A small section of the show, right? Because the album and the album only is, has is only they should have done a double album mm. for the show. They really should have because there was yeah. so much that they didn't put in mm -hmm. that they could have. Right. Um, but for me, the great if obviously is a great song. Mm -hmm. But for a number of different reasons, Hushabye, mm -hmm. my mother said that medley yeah. really strikes me for a number of reasons. The show opens, and it's a very fast mm -hmm. show. Yeah. And you, you hear the nursery rhymes, and you see what, that's what they're going for. You know, now I lay me down to sleep. Right. May no one through my window creep. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, it's, it's great. Yeah. All these nursery rhymes that are coming at you, coming at you, coming at you. And you go, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and then the pace slows down. Mm -hmm. And the young black unwed mother comes out with Hush It By Baby. Yeah. And not only is it probably one of the most concise, recognizable nursery rhymes mm -hmm. updated that you hear in the show. Right. <clears throat> Everything slows down and you really hear it. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing that I love about that song because yeah. it it allows you to breathe as an audience. Right. And it's like I should mention this is our this is our what is why is this so good song. So we're in yeah. that and we're in that section <laughs> now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, 
So I mean, I, when that lyric, you know, when I heard that lyric the first time, I, mm -hmm. I remember being struck by like, oh wow, that's that's right on. That's yeah. dead on. She nailed that right. that update of that Murphy rhyme. Right. Hush it by baby on the top floor. Project elevator won't work anymore. Mm -hmm. It comes up to ten and then starts to stall. We'll have to walk down, baby, carriage and all. Mm. It grabbed you. Yeah. It grabbed you. But then she goes further into the second song, right. My Mother Said, about how her parents said, you're pregnant, we're kicking you out, you're going to never do anything, you're not going to be, you're going to amount to nothing. And in my life personally, I've seen so many people in that situation. Yeah. Unwed mothers told that, mm -hmm. conditioned that, right. to think that way about themselves. And quite often it was a self-fulfilling prophecy mm -hmm. because they've been conditioned to believe it's going to be true. Right. And the fact that at the end of the song, there's a small glimmer of hope mm. just slays me. Yeah. What's the, what's that? The glimmer? lyrics are, um, baby, don't you be mad at me. We'll have good times. Wait and see. I'll be your mama. I'll be your dad. Mm -hmm. We'll laugh and smile and we won't be sad. And then she, there's a few lyrics in there, and then at the end she goes, it won't turn out bad. It mm -hmm. won't turn out bad. Mm -hmm. It won't turn out bad. Yeah. She says it three times. Mm -hmm. Who is she trying to convince? Right. I think that's just so wonderful. Yeah. The song just has this arc that mm -hmm. is just... Yeah. And <clears throat> I think that's the first song that people like sit back and go, oh, we may be in for a really good evening here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, and it's beautiful. It's melodic. Mm -hmm. It's just it's a nice song. When the album was first released, mm -hmm. that was a song that I kept going back to. Mm -hmm. That told me there's something about this song. This is the first one that you always want to hear. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. now that you're familiar with everything, right? Um, even though the version on the cast recording is rushed, mm. <laughs> but we won't go there. <laughs> but they did. A lot of the songs on the album are a little, the pace is picked up a little bit just to fit them all in. Right, right. It sounds like they were trying to make a, like a very condensed Right, well I believe that album. when they were recording albums as opposed to CDs or, right. you know, they were, they were limited right. in the time frame that they could fit on one side. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was the reason for that. hush by baby On the top All the orchestrations on Broadway were great. They were very seventies, but mm -hmm. some of them were just yeah. I do so associate that flute with the seventies, but I and and, and early eighties, you know, um, and uh, yeah, it just I guess maybe like that that time period, but also like it does have like an like a inner city vibe to it, just like that. It's sad. There's like a sadness undercurrent to it. There's also you know the the first characters 
three characters come out mm-hmm. for now I lay me. Mm-hmm. And on Broadway, one was in his underwear. The other, and it's kind of like mm-hmm. jokey, funny, funny. Yeah. This is the first moment of realness mm. from a character that you get in the show. Yeah. Now I lay me as the, the part of the opening. Right. My mother said I never should turn out to be anything good. Everything I did, she'd say, bad, bad girl to disobey. Get in trouble, wait and see. Don't you come running home to me. Father said that if I did, he'd knock my head with a teapot lid. You get some real violence in this song, yes. and it's it doesn't nothing breaks to like really like the music doesn't change and like you know to signal that that's happening. It's just. He break, you know, breaks it with the teapot lid. That's just right. part of the rhyme. That's part of the scheme, rhyme scheme of it. And, it's and the visual mm-hmm. on Broadway with this number was also helped <clears throat> because oh, yeah. basically a cot slides out and she's sitting on the cot mm. with a rag tied around her head oh. and a slip, uh-huh. no shoes, nothing, just sitting there on the cot. Huh. And it's just, it's very bare, raw, and honest. Was dumb and the teacher mean. Along came a man in a limousine. I jumped inside, was off in a crack. Tell my mother I'll never come back. Tell my mother I'll never come back. Oh, tell everybody I'll never come back. Father and mother, I'll never come back. Those back. <clears throat> what yeah. happened is the cast was actually on stage doing them, but they were dim. Ah. And just the vocals mm-hmm. alone, <clears throat> just those background vocals added so much. The yeah. echo, the, you know, uh, they really set a mood. Yeah, it, and the groove in this <clears throat> is so, I know, it, it kind of like relaxes you into a groove a little bit. And then that's why it's like, when you, you kind of really have to listen. To, you what, do. to what she's saying. But luckily, they set it up in the show that you right. do listen. Right. And that's why I think I love it so much. Because yeah. you just listen. Now my belly's tight as a drum Waiting for the baby to come Too late to do anything I bought myself a dime store ring I won't give my baby away With my baby alone I'll stay Never ever will I say you are bad to disobey. Oh, baby, don't you be mad at me. We'll have good times, wait and see. I'll be your mama, I'll be your dad. We'll laugh and smile, and we won't be sad. We'll laugh and smile, and we won't be sad. Oh, yes, I'll be your mama. She alludes to an abortion. Uh-huh. Too late to do anything. Mm-hmm. Right. That was heavy. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it was, that line it was kind all of done, just goes was in by. terms that it just kind of goes over your head. Yeah. But it does leave an impression. Right. You know, and it's not ugly and in your face. Right. Too late to do anything. Right. What does that mean? Yeah. You know, it's. Yeah. Has she, has she kind of like resigned herself to this? And, yeah. but she's also considered it. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, there's so much going on in that song. Yeah. And it's just so full of the, also the contradictions. You know, she's saying things that you know she doesn't want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, leaving home. I feel her not wanting to do that right. in the song, but she's doing it. Right. Right, she's getting she's getting in a limousine, a limousine right. with a guy. Who who is this guy? <laughs> exactly. Along <laughs> yeah. came a man in a limousine. I jumped inside, was off in a flash. Tell my mother I'll never come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody wants to tell their mother they're never coming back. Right. But she's doing all these things that she has to do to survive. Yeah. Let's I guess move on uh, to our final section, something wonderful, where we just talk about. Uh, something upcoming or current in musical theater that we are excited about or want to give a shout out to. Most of the things that I've been that have excited me lately mm-hmm. have been off Broadway. Yeah, you know, um, that's probably because it's so much easier to get things up off Broadway. Right. Like what kind of things? Well, I was excited to see Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, mm-hmm. Duncan Sheik. Yeah, yeah. And I saw that last week, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I don't know if there's a transfer in his future right i'm not sure people can relate to it again it's of my era right right <laughs> it's of my era um i i would go out and buy that cast album mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i can't say that about many shows that i see yeah i also saw emoji land which is very adorable which i want to go see yeah it's you I know go see it, it is exactly what you would expect to be um, but it knows what it is, and it's just there are some great there's some great moments in it. It's very funny. The, oh, the other thing I'll give a shout out to is the show Maybe Happy Ending, which is not in New York. It's in Atlanta. Um, I did a piece on it um, for American Theater Magazine, and I went down to see it, and it's, it was a beautiful show. I really hope it has more life. Um, it's written by Will Aronson and Huey Park, and uh, it's about robots uh, who are obsolete and a love story between them. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. You can write to scene to song at gmail.com with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater, or if you'd like to be a podcast guest. Love this podcast? Help it find more listeners by taking a moment to rate it on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram at scene to song on Twitter at Scene2Song, and on Facebook at scene to song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And check back here in two weeks for our next episode. Yeah.